Uh, YOLO, have you heard the acronym before? You Only Live Once, uh, made famous by Drake, a brother from the six. Uh, you only live once, and obviously the message beneath the acronym is, like, give it your best shot now, right? Uh, it's like that old saying, it, was a, it probably was a beer commercial. Uh, you only go around once in life, so you gotta grab for all the uh, gusto you can. YOLO. So uh, I'm starting to feel uh, a bit of anxiety just thinking about it because if this is supposed to be my best life, um, emails and uh, laundry and uh, Zoom and uh, yeah. So this one leads to this one because with FOMO, now you're dealing with the fear of missing out. If, if the pressure is on you to live your best life now, then the fear of missing out is that you, that you haven't li lived your best life. And look, this series is not about COVID, but this plays into this. You're thinking, Dr. Van, I'm in the prime of my life and I'm sitting locked into my basement with nowhere to go. Uh, this, this fear of missing out, uh, uh, expresses itself in uh, older people, like Pastor Dave, um, with the idea of a bucket list, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that person lived a full life, you know, he did, she did, you know, tick the things off, right? And I think, I think with, with, with younger people than Pastor Dave, it expresses itself with, with, with um, the kind of social media engagement that some engage in where you at least make it look like this when really you're engaged in social media so this isn't true. So, so you find the best picture, the, the best moment, and you ignore, right? Right, fear of missing out. Now that's a real thing, right? So I've created my own. These two you know. I've created my own, and you know, I, I'm not really expecting it to take off, but I think it helps us as we start to uh, engage with thinking about how we're living our lives in light of the future. FOFO, fear of finding out that there really is no best life to live. Maybe the most popular depressing song in the last long time, is a song recorded by Peggy Lee, Capitol Records, 1969. The song was, Is That All There Is? Uh, if you say, Dr. Van, I wasn't alive back then, but uh, I, I know the song. Yeah, it, it was played over an episode of Mad Men. It was uh, included in a, uh, <laughs> a Simpsons episode, right? This is the most depressing song. The, the, the verses recall moments in the singer's life. Uh, her father takes her to the circus, and at the end she's saying, like, is that all there is? She, she falls in love, and then that falls apart. Is that all there is? <laughs> you get to the last stanza, and she says, now, you might be thinking, if this is my attitude 
towards life, why don't I just end it? She said, but even, okay, she doesn't use the word suicide, but she says, even that would be disappointing. So the chorus, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friend, then let's keep dancing. Let's bring out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Hey, welcome to our very upbeat, exciting look at the future and what it has to do with us. Hey, th this, this, is, this is not about COVID, COVID fits in, but this is not a series on the end of the world and COVID, no more than it would have been about 100 years ago, a series about the Spanish flu and the end of the world, or uh, you know, 1918, or the Russian flu of, of the 1890s. It's not so much a series about wars or rumors of wars. It's, it, it's, it's something bigger because we're not looking at all the, the birth pangs um, the, of, of the future in terms of the convulsions of, of life on this planet. It's more what, what is God doing? Okay, so uh, look, looking forward to this series. Hey, uh, I'm looking around this room and um, I see Jared Malcolm in front of me. Thank you, man. Uh, thanks for taking care of things. Thanks, Lauren Elford, for setting all this up and, and all the graphics. And I wish, I wish you were here. The last time I was here was uh, the building over there. And uh, I do remember it well. I think the first time I was here was actually during the time of the Cantillons, right? Dr. Van, that's a long time ago. Well, I was a child, child evangelist. And I think that was the first time I was here, but I was with Pastor Dave in, in the old building, but this is really cool. So I mentioned to Pastor Gary just before we started filming that I'll just imagine you here in this beautiful facility and that lobby. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get to see any of you here, but we could socially distance in that lobby. We could play football in that lobby. Just, just stunning. So, so, so great to be with you. Okay, uh, you ready to get started? Okay, just get yourself comfortable. Here we go. This is a series about the end of the world, but I want to give you a different term than the end of the world. For a very simple reason, I want you to think about the things of the end in a little broader way than we often do. So for this reason, I'm going to break one of my basic rules, which is when teaching in a church, don't use a lot of Greek words. I'm breaking the rule here, okay? Because I want a fresh word to help us get a fresh perspective. Okay, you with me? Here's the Greek word, right? Eschaton. And our topic then is eschatology. Eschaton, eschatology. So just like psychology is a study of the psyche, right? Soul, the mind, right? How we interact with others. Uh, in the same way that numerology is the study of numbers, the significance of numbers. Uh, zoology is the study of zoos. So eschatology is the study of the eschaton, and the eschaton simply means uh, the end, last things, right? Okay, good. Now, 
So we have a new word for it. So let me make my first application. Let, let me inject the first sense of new meaning into this word. This is not something that you only think about when you have spare time. This is not the, uh, the purview. This should not be the, the obsession of only those with too much time on their hands, right? Speculation about this sign. When's Jesus coming? Where's, are, there, are there microchips in the vaccines? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, right? Eschatology is a critical series because it's a very biblical idea. And I don't think you understand the word of the Lord in the Old Testament or the New Testament unless you understand its forward-looking direction, unless you understand eschatology. So this is not about, hey, when we get extra time, let's think about the future. Eschatology is how we live now based on what we know about the future, okay? This series is rated G, general, for all ages. So uh, three topics, three topics in this session this morning. The shape of history, let me suggest there's one or two. The end in the beginning and uh, the beginning of the end. Okay, shape of history. Let me suggest to you that there are two, two primary shapes that can be used to describe history. Uh, there is a circle and there is a line. In other words, uh, History is cyclical, history is lineal. Uh, this one's very popular, and it's old. Uh, the idea that history, that all of life is just a series of circles, is, uh, is something that we derive from observing nature. Sunrise, sunset, um, the revolution, repetition of the seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter. We're Canadians. Uh, fall, winter, winter, winter. Cycles, right? So it, it has long been a popular way of looking at life on this planet and history as such as simply a, you know, a cycle. People even refer to their own lives as life cycle. This is a very old idea. You can find it in ancient Greek and Roman mythology. And it's still around, uh, particularly in some of the religions in the Eastern Hemisphere, uh, religions from Asia or India. Think of Hinduism, for instance, that, that life is a, is a series of circles. Probably the great song that describes, no, I'm not going back to Peggy Lee, is that all there is? No, I'm not. Never mentioning that one again. I'm still depressed. Probably the, the best song for this view of life is from The Lion King, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, right? Circle of life, and uh, picture that scene where uh, the, the cycle is going to repeat now. Is it, uh, what's the father's name, uh, Jared? Mufasa. Yeah, not Roger, right, right. Yeah, Mufasa. Mufasa lifts up, you know, uh, Simba, right? And the song, you know, the and, and all and down there, what is it, the Pride Lands, they're on the edge of the cliff. Great scene, it's almost like, uh, a cartoon version of the, you know, the Titanic, you know, my heart will go on, right? 
great scene, and all the animals are cheering because the cycle is going to repeat, right? The next king is coming into play. Okay. So if that's the way history is, then that's the way your life is too. You know, wash, uh, rinse. Uh, is that all there is? Oh, sorry. In other words, um, your, 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 life, your life looks like a, a, a Ferris wheel. You, uh, you know, you, you get on at the bottom. They, they put you on in the bottom because you can't walk yet. And, and your life, you know, your life goes goes up and it's it's all pretty good as it's going up and then <laughs> and then from there it's like like just sort of all all downhill and when you get to the bottom uh, you are carried off because uh, you're, you're dead and uh, that's it circle of life okay the okay so that's the view of history that is common, but there's another one, and this is the biblical one, and this one comes from what we hear in God's word. This comes from what we see. Everything seems to be repeating in nature, but the line that you saw a moment ago, and with an arrow in it, that line you saw, that's the biblical view of history, and that comes to us as we hear God's word. You remember, remember the line? Can we, did you have a, a reverb uh, button? There we go. This, this is the biblical view of history, that there's a beginning, there's an end, and there's a direction to it. And if I'd wanted to, and I won't try lifting the screen, and there's an upward slant. This is the biblical view. It, it has become um, somewhat of the dominant view for many in the Western world because of the biblical influence, uh, where we would see God moving life forward. Uh, God sometimes gets removed and is replaced by science or um, you know, human will, human determination. But this idea with God or not has has um, found its way into the Western world because it suggests that life is about progress. And it's a very positive way of looking at life. It's not just this, we're actually going somewhere. So Marxists have used this. The, the, the working class will rise up, it's inevitable, and throw off their chains. Uh, evolutionary theories. We are, we are evolving to higher levels, right? Higher, faster, stronger, right? Well, before it was a secular view, it was a biblical one. So if history is going somewhere, where is it going? Let's move to our second topic. One more view of the Ferris wheel going by. And number two, the end in the beginning. The title of this first session is, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know how it ends, don't watch the preview. In the creation narratives, you have the end of the world previewed in the beginning. 
So when we want to know where history is going, the unity of the word of the Lord shows us in preview form what the ending will be. And here we want to uh, consider a couple different texts from, uh, well, you know this one, Genesis 1.1. Okay, right, in the beginning. Please note what this is saying. It's not just a circle. It has a starting point. You, you didn't see a starting point here, but there's a starting point with the line. In the beginning, history, space, and time have a starting point. This is the biblical viewpoint. And it has a starting point because God created it. God created the heavens and the earth. So notice you have this idea of a beginning point and a God who creates it. So history is personal. Um, look, Genesis 1 was never meant to replace, um, you know, a, a science textbook. It, it, it's not a science textbook. It's, it's, it's stronger on the, the primary theological ideas we need to know when we try to understand our place in history. So, you know, if you're in university and you're saying, Dr. Van, you know, like, understand what the word is saying here. It's telling us that when it began, God started it. It had a beginning point and it was personal. So this line is not driven by the fates or, or the stars or the planets. This is something God created, okay? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, let's look at another text a little further on in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, so God creates the heavens and the earth. By the time we get to the text we were just looking at, we now have this idea that uh, the, the critical point in the creation story is the creation of humankind because of all the life forms that God brings into being. It's this life form, humanity, that's in his image, in his likeness. And of course, with being in his image and in his likeness, um, there, there is certainly some responsibility attached. Uh, we, 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 won't go, we won't go into too much detail here, but notice that with being in God's image, we represent God in some way on the planet, for we are given the planet to, in some ways, rule over or take care of. And so for that reason, uh, we don't treat we don't treat the planet as a shooting gallery or a garbage dump, right? I mean, there is something to being responsible with what God has given us, right? But the point that I want to drive home is a different one because uh, notice the decision of God to create us 
And if I went to verse 27 or 28, which I won't hear, you'll see that it's male and female created in the image of God. With God's decision and with this special function as being in his image comes relationship because a personal God creates persons. And what Adam and Eve had a sniff of, what didn't last long enough, was what the end was meant to look like. And that is that uh, God would have relationship with Adam and Eve and all those that would come after, and they would rule and take care of what God had created. And in this idea of likeness and image, there's the idea of intimacy. Okay, uh, I, I don't have the text for uh, the fall of humankind. So, but it's interesting that after Adam and Eve have sinned, it, it says that God is walking, you know, and Adam and Eve are hiding. They're not hiding because God is walking. <laughs> in other words, there's, what, what's, what's in the backstory here is this kind of intimacy with God, this connection with God. And it's broken at the moment of Adam and Eve's rebellion. And so when they, when they hear God come walking, they're hiding. Intimacy broken, right? The image of God tarnished, paradise lost. Uh, Northrop Fry, uh, now deceased, uh, a well-known academic, University of Toronto, literature, literary criticism, said there's one great story in literature, one great story out of which literature spins off, and that's the story that identity or something has been lost and the attempt to regain it. Well, Fry is influenced by this biblical story. Uh, by the way, that's, that's a good way to think of the biblical story, by the way. When somebody asks me what the Bible is about, the best short answer is that the, the Bible is now salvation history, God's work to restore what was lost in the garden, to get back to this. Okay. Good. The beginning of the end. So, Please note this. We'll come back to it in a few moments. When you look at how the future is depicted in the Bible, there are two primary, can I use the word? There are two primary eschatologies, two primary views of the future. They are not contradictory, but one builds on the other. In the Old Testament, for the most part, the focus is of a future that God will bring about within history for the nation of Israel, right? So it's, it's a bright future within space and time as we know it. 
So if we were going to diagram this, it would look, it would look something like this. Uh, there are many prophetic passages that speak of a great day that is coming where the history of the world will begin to bend in a better direction. And the terminology often given to it is day of the Lord. Now, when somebody who is familiar with the New Testament goes back and reads the Old Testament and sees day of the Lord, uh, they would be forgiven for thinking that this day of the Lord is the end of history because that's the way we would think of it. Ah, see, there's another view of the future, so we'll come to it in a moment. But for the Israelite who heard the prophet speak of this great day, it would be a day when God would deal with the unrighteous and reestablish the righteous. It was a day within history after which things would move in this direction. So many prophetic texts, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, a day of both judgment and reward. But please, if you don't mind me saying it again, it's early for some of you. This is a day within history. Old Testament eschatology focuses primarily on Israel and how God will bring about his promises to Israel on a sacred piece of land within space and time. Good so far? Okay. Now, there's a transition from this one to the next one before we change the slide. Towards the end of the Old Testament period, God begins to reveal a future that goes beyond history. Uh, Isaiah 26. Uh, if you're looking for it, um, verse 19 in and around, speaks of a, a resurrection. In other words, for the individual, a coming back to life, right? Perhaps the clearest text, even more so than Isaiah 26, is Daniel 12, 1 to 3, where there is uh, a resurrection clearly depicted where the dead are brought back to life and some are depicted as being raised right up into heaven, right? An idea that most of us <laughs> are familiar with, right? Well, there it is in Daniel 12, this idea of a future day that goes beyond history. So you see it in the Old Testament. By the time the New Testament comes around, this idea has become dominant. Okay, let me show you how this one might be depicted. This is the one uh, we're more familiar with. That uh, history, and again, if I had wanted to, could have put a little slope here, right? Progress, but not too much progress. Please notice what this diagram is doing. Instead of, you know, history going on, the line comes to an end. History has a, right, 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 a beginning and an end. And it only gets really good when Jesus returns. And when he returns, the future is in a whole other place. A new heaven and a new earth. Okay. 
I wish I could see your faces right now, right now to know whether you're tracking with me. I'm looking at Jared. He's tracking with me, but, you know, he's, he's been a graduate student. He's been in one of my courses, so Jared knows some of the things I'm going to say before I say them. Right? In this view now, God reveals a blessing or a future that goes beyond this life, the afterlife. Uh, folks, there is little, relatively little in the Old Testament about heaven and hell because most of God's dealings are depicted as happening in this world. But the revelation that comes towards the end of the Old Testament and comes into full bloom in the New Testament is this idea that God someday will bring this world to an end and the future will become bright and it's pointing in a new direction altogether. So what does this future look like? We started with Genesis 1 and I made much of the idea of intimacy with God as something that Adam and Eve had. Let it go. So what do you think the end is depicted like? Okay, let's go to the second last chapter in the Bible. We started in the first chapter of the Bible. Let's go to the second last, the book of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. No longer any sea. Uh, you know, in the ancient world, the, the sea was a place where your loved ones could go out and fish and never return. The sea was a place where storms could come. God's not anti-water. He's not anti-ocean. But in this new world, there will not be a place anymore where people can drown and right I think that's sort of the idea there, there's no place that's out of control like the sea can become it's the idea here I once asked I once was asked at a camp meeting whether you know there would be fishing and yachting in in heaven and they reacting against this text okay. I, I don't think that's the point right okay a new heaven and a new earth line going straight up okay now in the next couple of verses what is the nature of it? Look, I, I, know the, I know as well as you do how culture depicts what heaven looks like. Angels, right? what else? On clouds, right? Playing, right? Synthesizers, right? Uh, and there is in the book of Revelation something about the furniture and the landscape of heaven a little bit. But folks, um, what, what heaven is, is primarily the presence of God. Okay? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, you see the reversal of the curse here? Adam and Eve sin, they push God away. God says, okay, okay, then separated from my presence you will be, and they, they, are, they are banned from the garden with, with guards keeping them out. 
separation. Notice what heaven is. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Folks, there's, there's this verse now I'm going to read that is simply stunning in its intimacy and recalls what Adam and Eve had for the shortest period of time, which God will restore. And notice the intimate terms in which our connection relationship with God is now described. This is heaven. Uh, this series is not about COVID, but what has made life during COVID so difficult for those of us who have not passed away from it or are not experiencing prolonged difficulties because of it, <laughs> lingering side effects, has been the separation we have had from one another. The reason that is so difficult for us is that in the same way that heaven is being together with God, so hell is being separated from God and separated from others. COVID, living with COVID has been a taste of hell. I hear some of you saying amen. Living with COVID has given us a taste of hell. You know, there's this funny impression of hell. We'll talk more about it. This is just morning one, right? I want you to come back for it. Hey, next week, morning two, we're going to deal with some of the primary pieces of eschatology, the primary events, and why they're significant and how they influence how we live today. Okay? That's, uh, that's next week. Are you busy? Can you, can you come back? Great. Uh, hell is that place where, where there's no... Y-O-L-O, -O. there's, in fact, I, I've heard some people jokingly say, well, I'd rather go to hell than heaven because all the fun people are in hell, as if it's one big party, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a strange one. Uh, you never want to use the term, oh, that was a hell of a party, because there's no partying in hell. It's like COVID all the time. With God, there's relationship with one another. Without God, it's everything, that, it's everything that life shouldn't be, including lack of relationship. Horrible. But notice heaven is being with God. Being in hell is being without God and all the horrible, permanent side effects. This, this intimacy with God means no more separation. 
right? No more of this. No more crying or pain. For that old world, old world is gone. That's heaven, folks. Okay, so heaven, where God is. Hell, where God is not. We'll talk some more about it. Last point I want to make, one little complication to the diagram we had with, right? One little complication, and I want to set up a future week by talking about this, then we're going to, final thought, close in prayer. You still good for a few more minutes, right? Okay, good. Let, let me show you this last diagram. Right. Now, here's the complication. This was the previous one, but the Messiah who was believed to come when the end came. Uh, the Messiah comes and then is crucified, rises again, and leaves. And we're still here. History is still going on. This is a little complication with New Testament eschatology. Whereas this diagram would have worked well for some, uh, some Jewish expectation, just take this out, right? There will be a messianic figure come and there'll be a, a new world. That was a Jewish idea before it was a Christian one. Here's the, here's the Christian complication to it. Messiah came before the end, the end of the end had actually arrived. This section is called the beginning of the end. Can I just put a thought in your mind that when you speak about eschatology from a New Testament point of view, it's a little bit more complicated because the end comes in stages. When Jesus came, the end began. This was the beginning of the end. And when we say we're in the last days, the last days have been going on for 2,000 years. We'll come back to it. Hey, and in week three, we're probably right about here, yes? We're going to talk about what life is like when we're stuck in a moment between this and his second coming. Okay. Good. Final thought. If your life is a line rather than a circle, if you know God, if you know Jesus, and you've come to understand that your life is now engaged with a creator, and there is a beginning, but there is an end that is better, then that should affect the way you look at your life and what life is like now. Uh, the temptation is, even for those of us who know Jesus, is to think about our life in a circle, as if all we are doing is this. And when you do this, you're always cycling back to the past and you're bound to the past. You keep revisiting it, and you never seem to get very far because the past has a hold on you, and you just keep spinning back all those memories, all those horrific, traumatic moments, all those disappointments, all those sins, all the shame and the failure. But you see, if you believe in this for history, then believe in it for, your for you too. Christianity is a forward-looking faith. You may say, hey, Dr. Van, I was born this way. 
cool. We were all born with stuff. But that's not the defining characteristic of this. It's not who you were. It's not how you started. It's how you finish. Some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. So may it encourage you again to be freed up from this idea that for the rest of your life, you're going to have to carry the baggage of failure. Come on, folks. Let it go. You're here. Don't keep going back here. You're on the other side of, right? Let this event be the liberating event it's meant to be. Because once you get on the other side of this, this is your direction in life. Uh, the way we think about the future, the way we think about history should affect the way we live our lives today. So let's live with the future in mind, <laughs> not the past. Should we pray together? O Lord God who created the heavens and the earth, O Lord God who created us, O God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose as you have a purpose for history, you have a purpose for us. May we find again the image of God, the potential of what we're becoming, rather than the horror of what we were. Father, may we live today and in the discussion groups this afternoon and in the week to come with a new sense that our life is actually going someplace. And Lord, may that place bring you joy and bring you glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks.